Central. This is Tech Radio. All things computers, gadgets and web happening right now in Ireland. Hear us anytime on iTunes or download from techcentral.ie. How you doing? Welcome to Tech Radio, the number one Irish tech podcast, bringing you news in tech from around Ireland and, of course, around the world. You can hear Tech Radio on air with RTE on Friday evenings or anytime you like with your favourite podcasting app from Apple, Google or Spotify. Of course, we keep you bang up to date every single day of the week with all things tech, hourly updates and daily newsletters, which you can drop right into your inbox and you can grab them for free at techcentral.ie. My name is Dusty Rhodes. This is episode 800. And 39. And joining me is our Editor-in-Chief, Niall Kitson. Not from the COVID kitchen, because we're upgrading now. We're in our tech bubble. Yeah, let's be let's be contemporary here. Let's move with the times. Let's, let's be contemporary and back at the times. As soon as we're all back in lockdown again, uh, we're all going to be watching probably a lot more Netflix, uh, who are making the news today. So start off with that story. Yeah, they just had their Q3 results and uh, the people are not happy. The investors are not happy. And what it mostly comes down to is their new subscriber figures. Because services like Netflix, you know, they, they have to fight churn. They have to fight this whole thing that you watch your favourite show and you let your subscription lapse and you wait for the next series to come to come back. Netflix, they really need a constant churn of a, or a constant stream of new content, new quality content to keep people engaged, keep people watching. Uh, and if you can't keep people, you've got to bring in new people, which makes sense. So uh, Netflix for the last quarter said, look, we can bring in 2.5 million paying subscribers. This is, this is our goal. Mm-hmm. They manage 2.2 million and it's knocked five percent off their off their share price. Oh, investors! You see, investors just don't care. You telling me you're going to bring in two point five? You hit two point two. All right, I'm out. Yeah, yeah. That's <laughs> it's tough, isn't it? It's incredibly tough. But you have to look at what Netflix have been feeding us lately. At the same time, we've got an awful an awful lot of mediocre content that cost a lot of money. And people are watching this stuff because there's really nothing else to do. However, mm. as soon as other stuff to do presents itself, you've got a problem. Uh, and I think that might be part of what Netflix has endured, that people were, were home for a while. They couldn't do anything. It was great for their for their numbers. Now people are getting back out in the world. Maybe not so much now, but they had been getting back out in the world. But in the rest of the world, they're getting out now. In, in the, the rest, rest of the world. Of the world. Yes, or, on or our places. little island. Yeah, or places that weren't being well managed. Uh, people were getting back out in the world and they just, they, they decided, well, look, Netflix isn't up to much. Let's try Amazon this time around. Maybe people are just sort of bopping from one service to the next. Um, mm. But yeah, Netflix has been missing its targets uh, or rather, you know, the one that matters. As I far think as you're always going to get you, you get up and down bumps and stuff like that with Apple and stuff like that. Like, especially if they make a presentation and it's not quite as good as people thought, you always hear the news and shares dipped by 2% and then they're back up again. It's up. That's true. I, yeah. I remember yeah, Apple so. had a, a big problem like that when the iPad was released serious problem with their share price. Uh, it didn't quite nosedive, but it took a dip. Uh, yeah, exactly. A lot of it was people just going, what the hell are we going to do with this thing? And yeah. everyone has an iPad now. Well, uh, uh, the other things I heard about Netflix during the week was that their target now is to, uh, I think, have 200 million subscribers worldwide. Right. By the end of the year. And they're going to stop doing the free trial. Oh, that's interesting. 
Yeah, but well, but here's you know, kind of we're talking about the stock price going up and down and uh, by mm. a couple of percent. It doesn't matter. They they are actually in a enough of a position now where people know what it's about. So if you want to sign up, look, come on, it's only eight quid or a tenner or whatever. Try it for a month for a tenner. <laughs> They yeah. don't have to do free trials anymore. So I think that in itself actually kind of is a good indication for Netflix. But anyways, um, I'm, I'm just still smiling at the fact that you said uh, Netflix and quality content in the same sentence, which I believe is an oxymoron. Uh, well, you know, they have done it in the past. Uh, <laughs> they, they've done some great shows in fairness. They have. They have and the crown, the crown is coming. The crown is coming next month. So we'll all be uh, uh, in on that. That's that's one of my favourites. Uh, also making news this week, uh, Last week, I think we were talking about uh, Facebook and Apple and Amazon and Google and all getting, you know, kind of a serious uh, telling off by the uh, US government. Now the US government is going to court with one of them. Yeah, Department of Justice is taking Google to court with a very specific lawsuit. I mean, when, when we were talking last week about this, um, the idea was we have to break up big tech. They've got too many hand fingers in too many pies and it's really limiting our choice as consumers. Uh, so the DOJ has started its proceedings against Google in a, an antitrust case. And basically what it boils down to is the way that Google is the default search engine in your browser. Um, the way that Google has been managing that has been deemed to be anti-competitive by the DOJ because Google pays a little licensing fee uh, to be the default browser on, you know, uh, Mozilla Firefox or um you know, Edge, uh, sorry, Bing is is on Edge, of course, because it's Microsoft's own. But, um, and of course, Chrome, their own browser, which is the uh, the most used browser in the market. So, uh, yeah, basically, DOJ is saying, look, that's anti-competitive. Uh, we don't like it. Uh, also, another thing they don't like is Google's virtual monopoly on print ads, uh, little text ads uh, in search. Uh, as you know, you pay your, you pay Google X amount, your little text ad appears at the top, just a small headline with a little bit of a thing underneath. You've you've used Google ads like that. I use it all the time, yeah. And how does it work for you? Uh, uh, Yes and no. (laughs) Okay. You've just you've really got to learn from it and it has to learn from you um, and you put in your keywords, but then you just never know what people are going to add. So you could have like, a, say, English speaking, for example. All right. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a, a fairly tight. But, but then people are asking for English speaking lessons or something like that mm-hmm. or English speaking, unit, which is nothing to do with what I would be advertising. Do you know what it's, But anyway, yeah. as but I say, it's a learning, it's also, a learning process. Also, super important is the positioning of those ads nicely above the fold where everybody can see them. And can anybody else do that? No. no. And who no. gets the most search traffic? Google, um, easily. Google. So all of a sudden you've frozen competitors out of the market. Bad for consumers, says the DOJ. Google will say that's our business model. Mm. Anywho. Yeah, that's- I think that, that's going to rumble on. I don't think it'll have much of an effect on our lives. Here is a great story uh, that you were telling me earlier before we came on air. And I love this. All to do with ad blockers. Ad because blockers. speaking of advertising, because we all use ad blockers from time to time, and this is whoa, go. Yeah, I think I think this is an example of what can go wrong when you rely on third party developers and third party plugins for your browser. Um, uh, a developer was working on two products: Nano Ad Blocker and Nano Defender. Uh, he decided that look, I, it's just gotten to the stage where I've got an awful lot of active users to look at. I don't really have the time to do it. Um, I'll sell on the products uh, to another developer who seemed to be, you know, interested in it. I'll be able to wash my hands of those involved. 
uh, of the, the whole thing and we can just move on with our lives and my users will be happy because there'll be a decent continuity of service and the plugins will be updated regularly um, by a, by a, you know, a, a good actor. We'll push, we'll push it that way. And, you know, we'll still have good uh, competition in the market because there's plenty of others out there like Adblocker, like um, uh, Ublock Origin, mm. All, the, all these sort of things that are However, out there. However, it, it doesn't always work that way. It doesn't always work out that way. The people that have taken over na, uh, Nano Ad Blocker have taken the opportunity to insert some malicious code into it. So uh, not only is the Ad Blocker get, uh, now has the ability to look at your browsing history, it has been doing things like going to websites like Instagram, if you happen to be an Instagram account holder, and arbitrarily liking photos from accounts with zero followers. That's nasty. That's something that you're hoping is going to help you and it doesn't. That sounds like a test. That sounds like something much, much bigger is coming down the line. So to me... Do you know know where I think something much, much bigger is coming down the line? Because I see myself doing it all the the time now. It's just all day. Tell me if this is you when you're surfing the internet or you're looking at websites and stuff like that is you get to the website and then boom, um, there's a pop-up saying the EU G- G- GDPR cookies data and you almost automatically click it yes. and say, okay. And then the next thing is something else and then it's join our mailing list. And then a, I, saw, I saw a great um, episode. Uh, somebody had taken a clip of the airplane movie where the pilot is walking into the airport in Los Angeles and he's literally fighting people off. So it's like somebody who's, it's the Harry Krishners who want to give him flowers and then somebody else wants to ask him a question and then and he literally is having fisticuffs. It feels like that with every single website that you look at these days. It's yep. driving me nuts. Well, but you know, there's reasons. I, I, I know there's reasons for having all of these things, but where I think uh, somebody is going to really spread a massive virus, as in on the internet, is on those cookies. Because we're so used to just clicking yes and not even reading it. Somebody's going to get something in there that you click OK, boom, you're done. Yeah, well, as we were discussing last week with uh, Dave McAvoy, I mean, companies really have to be on top of, of their cookie policies and understanding mm. uh, what they're asking of people and what's yeah. reasonable to ask. Yeah. Oh, no, I, I, I kind of get the, the, the meaning behind it and it's a good thing, but I just don't think it has improved or even made us that much safer, to be honest, because there was no threat from cookies in the first place, was there? Uh, well, yeah, I, I, it was just a, well, it depends whose cookies Data they are. threat, I suppose, maybe. Exactly, or yeah. Something like that. Oh, I know. And listen, what's the name of the ad blocker software so that we don't install it? Yeah, Nano Defender. Nano Defender. Avoid yeah. like the plague. Yeah. I have a couple of quickies for you. Go ahead. Uh, uh, Windows 10 uh, October update is going to be rolled out. Uh, so uh, <laughs> based on my last Windows 10 update, my advice is backup, backup, backup. You just never know. And you know what? Uh, and to be and to be fair, like with Microsoft, uh, there's very small chance of something going wrong. But when it does, ah, oh, and it's good to back up your computer from time to time. So it's good to do a backup, all right? Um, have you heard rumours from Apple about a, a one more launch, a, a one more thing launch that we weren't expecting this uh, year? Rumours about Apple, yeah. What What is it, November 17th? Uh, That's what I heard, yeah. The purpose of which might be uh, an unveiling of their new silicon in mm. uh, a new line of Macs. That could be interesting, you know. Because the, the A14 chip, which is putting in all the uh, mobile devices at the moment, is doing very well. Certainly is. Um, 
and Apple have have always got, they've kind of excelled when they've got their own chip together, working with their own hardware, working with their own software. It's kind of like they're able to make everything run together super smooth. Yeah, well, it's 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 their prime selling point. They don't they mm. don't see the software and the hardware as as separate devices. Mm. It's it's all part of the one uh, the one offering. So. Yep. Uh, kind of opposite of that uh, rumours that Parallels uh, I don't know if you use Parallels on, on Mac at all but it, it allows you to run uh, Windows or Windows applications on Mac they're now getting into Chromebooks mm-hmm. Right Now it's kind of really only on, on enterprise uh, level Chromebooks so if it's a, a large corporation who give out you know kind of Chromebooks like uh, cookies and that kind of stuff uh, and it needs to be a fairly high end one like an i5 processor or a higher a fair bit decent bit of RAM and storage and stuff um, but Parallels will be able to run Windows 10 on your Chromebook for you which mm, may be interesting hmm okay no. well bear in mind that you can get a reasonably decent enterprise class laptop for mm. what 300 euro well that's well, that's why I was kind of you know the, <laughs> that's what I was saying and I was going mm. <laughs> I, I think it's more from a but do you, you know, know what I like tinkering with things. Yeah, I, I there is that, and then also I notice a lot of the Chromebooks are actually quite slim and quite nice. Yes, because they're true. not as powerful. Do you know what I mean? So, yeah. the, so they are definitely a, a slimmer. So, so it could be interesting. Anyway, that might be a little toy to play with. Um, speaking of toys and Christmas, and oh my goodness, I never got out and did my shopping before lockdown on Wednesday evening. <laughs> 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 Not that I could buy this anyway, uh, but I was going to get you the uh, the new roll-up TV from LG. Do you remember that? Oh, wow. Long, long in the, the making. Long in the, I think it's four years ago they, they, they first showed this in Barcelona or somewhere. Or was, was it, it in was, Germany? It was I can't CES, remember which Yes, I think it was. That's yeah. what it was. Yes. Yeah. In Vegas. Um, a 65 inch TV that rolls up. What 4K, a- the whole thing. Uh, price tag. €75,000. My goodness. My goodness. <laughs> they only get them in, in Korea, which is why I, I was going to get you and I one each for Christmas. Because <laughs> we're on the big bucks. Yeah, exactly. There you go. All right. Listen, there you go. That's our news for this week. No, thanks for joining us as always. This is Tech Central, your weekly tech podcast from Ireland's techcentral.ie. We've all had to change the way we work over the past few months and again as we go back into lockdown again. But have some sectors had it harder than others when it comes to taking on new technology at a national level? Frank O'Donnell is Public Sector Director for Microsoft Ireland and he had a chat with Niall Kitson to explain how the pandemic is forcing more services online. We've all had to get used to coming up with ways to deal with this new normal, with this new way of work. And some people have taken to it very quickly and some not so much. How does this apply in the public service, which we all seem to associate with quite a a glacial pace of change? Well, Niall, I think uh, it's an interesting question at this stage, um, because we can now, I think, reflect over the last period since uh, since February, March and and what's been happening across public sector, I'd say obviously we've been very closely engaged with many customers and many customers turned to us at the, at the early stages for support uh, for the implementation of new technology or, or leveraging the, their existing technology in different ways. And there's probably two things happening. There's there's a piece happening about how public sector itself is, is let's say, working remotely. Um, 
collaborating using online tools, uh, etc. And then on the other side, there's the you know the delivery of services uh, and how they're maintaining the delivery of services to citizens during COVID. And some of those services are actually you know a response to COVID. So if you take things like the health sector or uh, things like payments around the the PUP. Um, even the things that you, you see with uh, transport in terms of looking at the whole transport system now under a different uh, environment and all these things are, are uh, you know, technology is supporting the delivery of those services in, in a new way. So um, I think there, there has been a, a different pace for sure. Um, and in, in many ways we've cut through some, uh, some inertia, let's say, in the adoption of technology across both uh, the remote working side, but also on the service delivery side. So what kind of supports have staff been looking for? Has it been a case of, look, I think I've got a problem with my furniture, with my home office, uh, or I think I need a new laptop to do my job? Is it a case of if you need it, here it is? Or are people just being given login keys or whatever and being told just to work from home on your own recognizance? I think uh, that varies across um, across different government departments and to some extent I'm not deeply aware of individual policies in terms of how, how public sector um, do that in different places but an example is uh, a good example of, of really moving to remote working quite quickly is uh, Mayo County Council uh, and they have seen benefits actually from it because uh, they're able to collaborate, let's say, with other agencies across the county, uh, whether that be in the enterprise space or this or um, social protection space or whatever, you know, and, and collaborate using um, well, what we're using right now on Microsoft Teams, and um, and, and they're getting and flexible engagement with those organisations getting to meet them more quickly because they're not concerned about meeting in a physical location and uh, it's actually improved their productivity overall. Um, and then, uh, you know, the, the view is that from a, an internal team collaboration, they're also benefiting from that. Uh, in terms of their policy on devices, many of the organisations were already in a reasonably good place in terms of technology and uh, move into home working. Maybe they've had to procure some new laptops, etc., and some new devices. But in many cases, they've already had the the technology ready to go. Um, and we've been working with them to to help them enable those um, devices and enable that collaborative platform uh, quite quickly. I suppose central to these sort of digital transformation efforts is the embrace of cloud computing. How difficult is it to get people who maybe aren't used, aren't used to working in the cloud to actually embrace these new technologies and to understand that you know, it doesn't necessarily have to be a complex platform? You can start by explaining it as, you know, it's as easy as your email. Uh, well, look, now that's probably a bit of both in terms of the awareness. So it's not universal in terms of awareness and understanding of of cloud itself. Um, but then there are situations where the only way to respond in some of the, the COVID instances has been to move to the cloud. That's the only way you could get things in place quickly, uh, that you could move at speed and get solutions in place that, that are agile enough and responsive enough to the the needs of citizens. So 
um, there's certainly been a sort of inflection point there where where uh, people have turned to cloud to be the right answer in the, in this environment. Um, and there will be continued, you know, learnings, I think, across the public sector from the, the adoption of cloud. That's an ongoing process and something that we'll continually be involved in as well as well many companies and many tech companies. Part of that reluctance to move to the cloud is to do with concerns over resilience and reliability of systems. People might be quite uh, concerned that just because they can't see their work uh, on premises in a sort of a physical server that to understand it's a way in a data center. How do you get people to uh, understand that that difference is just because you can't see it it doesn't mean that it's not protected or that it isn't uh, reliable yeah well one of the ways we we have done that in the past and it's actually a very interesting one at the moment in relation to COVID. so one thing we used to do with some customers is to take them actually to our data center and take them on a tour of our data center so that you understand you know the, the physicality of it but the security around it um the way things are controlled uh, the scale in many ways um, and you learn a lot of things about uh, how much investment we actually put into security. I mean, we, we invest over a billion a year in security around uh, our whole data platforms. Um, but at the moment, we, we actually can't take people to that. So we've actually developed a virtual tour, which has become very, um, very popular as well, where people can can take a virtual tour of the data center uh, and get to understand it. And we can support, obviously, those engagements through Q&As as well. So understanding that, you know, that scale and that investment that's in there it does give people uh, a level of reassurance around resilience, around support uh, and around the security dimensions of cloud. That's a really fascinating use of blended reality of augmented and and virtual reality. Can you see a point where more public services will take to such sort of emerging technologies? Uh, In terms of augmented reality, yeah, I think it, it, it has it has applications in the public sector. It has applications, you know, in utilities, it has applications in, in healthcare, et cetera. Um, it's probably not as uh, it's, not, it's not as prevalent at the moment in terms of our discussions with public sector customers. But you you could see that because of uh, challenges around physical access that have been increased somewhat um, due to COVID, that that is part of the the answer to that and part of the solution to that for sure. We're six months into our COVID experience now, and I think it's fair to say that you know, plan A is done. We expected maybe three months of a, a lockdown and then business as usual. And of course, that hasn't been the case. So how are things going to change looking towards uh, the medium and even the long term with the resources we have and maybe the resources we should be taking on in the future? Um, and Well, in relation to to the hardware side, I think, you know, th- there was a significant demand on hardware in the early stages and, and you know, all suppliers were under under pressure for uh, within the supply chains indeed. Um, uh, but I think that has been largely addressed at this stage and uh, I'm, I'm thinking primarily in relation to the devices that we have in terms of laptops and surface devices. Um, and one of the other things that's, a key part of of uh, our devices is the ability to 
to to roll them out um, basically without touching the machine from an IT perspective. So individual users can effectively um, switch on a device and it and it will get uh, configured for that organization's network automatically by going through a number of steps that the users themselves can go through. So it's one of the unique features of, of the rollout of our devices. But um, that is a challenge, actually, that, that rollout to, you know, if people are in individual homes, then there's a lot of support required to do all of that. But I think I think from a hardware perspective, uh, there's still demand um, and I, there'll probably be ongoing demand, but we're now in a more stable position as regards the overall supply chain. And that's the same across all suppliers, I think. Following on that point, this is really an opportunity to look at technologies that maybe are on the periphery, but can really be seen to be effective. I'm, I'm looking, for example, at the digitization of medical records or the large scale rollout of tablet PCs in hospitals. Are there any particular implementations of these new technologies that have struck you as being particularly interesting or particularly effective? Well, I suppose uh, one of the areas that we've been involved in is we we have been heavily involved with the HSE in supporting their uh, response to COVID and the overall area um, of managing the the demand for tests and uh, the data around that uh, around lab availability, etc. And you know we've worked extensively with them to put an end-to-end platform in place. One of one of the probably most extensive that's been done across different countries um, and that's you know that has been done at pace uh, and was quickly in the hands of uh, end users within a two to three week period and then was continually enhanced and improved then and and we're still working with uh, the health service uh, to to continue to augment that and uh, improve that platform but I think it's a success story from from their perspective and a real sense of partnership working across ourselves, but other partnering companies and the HSE itself uh, to quickly realize a solution around that and to be able to provide ultimately the data that's needed at senior levels of the health service and of government uh, to make decisions around uh, the management of COVID. So I think that's a good example, yeah. And that was Niall Kitson chatting with Frank O'Donnell, Public Service Director at Microsoft Ireland. That's it for our show for this week. Uh, do remember you can get the lowdown on all things tech in Ireland with hourly updates, daily newsletters and more at our website techcentral.ie or listen to us each week online or Fridays on DAB Digital Radio with RTE Radio and Extra. Until next time, from myself, Dusty and from Niall, thanks so much for listening. Take care and have a great weekend. Get Tech Radio. Subscribe for free with iTunes or download on demand at techcentral.ie. Tech Radio is produced by digitalaudioproductions.com. Tech Central.